By the time you hear this podcast, you'll find out what's better than digging a ditch. to the car wash no just kidding uh welcome to by the time you hear this podcast i'm greg and i'm ben and we're back with episode 107 all right so 107 is this particular episode i don't know what i mean the the power episode but i don't know what radio station is so is power, power 107. 107 is that breakfast club or is that is that funk flex I don't, I don't know. know. Let's see. <laughs> power 107. There's a Power 107 in Augusta. <laughs> it says Power 107, Augusta, Georgia. What, um, what, kind, what, what kind of format is it? Take I, One guess. Is it urban? Oh, yes. <laughs> power 107, Augusta's number one for blazing hip-hop and R&B. Owned by iHeartMedia. <laughs> <laughs> So it's all, of course, safe hip hop and RB. Safe, safe urban. <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, welcome to. By the time you hear this podcast, I'm Greg, and he is 107. I'm, I'm been. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh man, feels so good to be back. So uh, thank you to everyone who's listened so far. Um, for watching us on Facebook Live, we did one with the last episode. Finally. Uh, we're not on Facebook Live for this one. I actually brought my T-shirt just in case. <laughs> um, I think I need to. I need to wash mine. I was gonna wear it to yeah. work, but I didn't want people, you know, like asking questions. Yeah, like yeah. what's that? Like that's oh, kind of, that's kind of high end. I don't yeah. want people asking questions like that because I might say something <laughs> to hear that I don't want them to hear. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but if you if you watch it on Facebook, follow us on Facebook. Uh, by the time you hear this, um. Spell Y-O-U. That's the same with our website, which hasn't been updated, but it will be eventually. Um, and if you want to follow us on other social media, we're on Instagram at by the time you hear this. Spelled with the letter U because... We're urban. Yes. Like Power 107. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Power 107. 
And we are also, uh, that's our, our email addresses by the time you hear this with the U at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, concerns, show ideas. If you're an independent artist, we'll play your music for absolutely free. For free. For now. Yeah. For now. Just for now. So, um, And uh, if you want to listen to us on the go, avoid that annoying coworker or that guy on the train or the, uh, who, who else would you put on headphones for to avoid? Um. Your wife. <laughs> Some people are like that. <laughs> I, I, ben, I, I don't think you're in a position to I'm say not something there like that. yet. I'm not there yet. You know. <laughs> Although, had she like made me watch the Game of Thrones finale with her, yes, people, I don't watch Game of Thrones. So hey, sue ne- me. neither do I. If she would have made me watch it, I probably would have put on headphones. I, I do. I may. I do have an issue with people who like complain about it or who like say. Who say they don't watch Game of Thrones but have to make it a big deal? Yeah. Like I would just say, look, no, I haven't watched the show. I've mm-hmm. never watched it. Yeah. But hey, that's just me. I did um, hear that this the series finale though was uh, poo poo. Like I heard it was really bad, and a lot of people were very upset with it. Yeah, and from what I've seen, it's it's been mixed reviews at best. Yeah. Even though I do like some of the the little gags that have happened, like the Starbucks cup was in one scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a water bottle in another scene. Mm-hmm. And a lot of 2K <laughs> while it was on. And someone had, uh, I guess it, well, it had to be a break, but, um, someone had a camera on three of the characters when I'm had a jewel. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, it'd be funny if that was, if that was left in the episode. Their standards <laughs> have just slipped. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, so yeah, those I guess those are some instances where you might want some headphones on. Well, you can if you want to listen to us, yeah, with those headphones, yeah, and your mobile device. Uh, we are on uh, Apple Podcast. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, uh, if you have uh, an Android tablet or an Android cellular device, <laughs> uh, you can go to Google Music. Yes. Yes. And um, we're on other apps as well. Um, we're on Podomatic. We're on TuneIn, uh, Castbox, Overcast, Auto Radio, Satchel Podcast Player, um, and Play.fm, along with other aggregate podcast apps. And if you want to look up a podcast by subject matter, you can go to the search engine listennotes.com and uh, our last episode we talked about Britney Spears debut album Baby One More Time and if you search Britney Spears you should find that particular episode uh, shout out to Lori yes. who was on the episode with us uh, she'll be joining us on the episode uh, very very soon once we figure out what yeah. we're going to talk about <laughs> but <laughs> we definitely want to have her back alright so Let's get into some music news here. Uh, we've talked about this before, uh, well, as kind of a, a cautionary tale as far as when you sample music um, to yeah. where you lose all the rights. This is worst. <laughs> yeah, this is probably worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you remember the song Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve, um, huge hit in, yeah. in, the, in their native UK or mm-hmm. the Irish. Uh, yeah, I think they're from the UK. Yeah, they're from the UK. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and a, a huge hit in America. It's on my uh, my favorite 
movie soundtrack of all time, Cruel Intentions. Yeah. Even though I never played that song when I had the CD. I I didn't play that song because I had already heard it so much. (laughs) (laughs) But it was on there. Um, But they, it's known to have sampled an orchestral version of a Rolling Stones song. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones, they sued and they got all the publishing royalties uh, from the song. But recently, they gave them back. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out was it just that, like, it was just, uh, oh, it's not anymore? Like, it, it runs out after a while? Or did they just decide, to like, eh, you've suffered enough? Uh, like we're seeing diminished returns. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they've gotten all of the yeah. They probably gotten they they squeezed all the all the juice. Yeah. Um. So uh, it said it's uh, Richard Ashcroft who was the lead singer of the Verve. Uh, he famously sampled a song, a cover of the Rolling Stones, the last time an orchestral version. So it wasn't the actual Rolling Stones recording. And a lawsuit from the Rolling Stones' former manager, Alan Klein, uh, released uh, shortly after the song was released, forced him to hand over 100% of the royalties to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. And uh, the ruling, well, according to this article from Rolling Stone magazine, uh, they said it's always been patently absurd. Jagger and Richards had nothing to do with the string section mm-hmm. that Ashcroft said. So like I said, it's an it's an orchestral version yeah. of a Rolling Stones song. So it, this is a different album they had nothing to do, do with. with it all. <laughs> um, and uh, this report from the BBC that the Stones have voluntarily returned the songwriting credits uh, back to Richard Ashcroft and he made the announcement when he accepted a lifetime achievement honor from the Ivor or Ivor Novello Awards, which recognizes British and Irish songwriters. Uh, that is actually a big deal, but you know we're in America, so we don't really pay that much yeah. attention mm-hmm. to it. But that is a that is a big deal kind of a award. Um, so they signed the publishing back over to him, and he said uh, it is truly kind and it's a truly <laughs> kind and magnanimous thing for them to do. He did use the word magnanimous. Because he's a songwriter. No, at this point, it doesn't even matter. Like, it's, they've taken everything. Like, I'd almost consider it a slap in the face. Uh, Well, I wouldn't look at it that way. I mean, they, I mean, I would wonder, like, if, if their, if their manager hadn't done anything, would they have actually done something? Would, would Jagger and and Richards, would, would they have done something? Prob- to, I don't know because this was around the, the time Bridges Bridges um, to Babylon was coming out. Maybe they're like, eh, it's not doing as well as we thought it would. Uh, but we can sue this kid who just sampled our song. Yeah, we can. We can take that money. You know, and like, and, and you know who 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 went a step further with that? Who Steely Dan? Yeah, with uh, what Black Cow? <laughs> the Black Guy. Uh, yeah, with Lord Lord Tariq Tariq Peter Guns yeah. sampling back Black Cow. So if you look at the songwriting credits for Deja Vu, yep. <laughs> it's, they it's set Donald the, Fagan and Walter Becker. They set the precedence, you know, to be able to do it. So um, this is, uh, this is, I don't know if it's going to start anything. I don't think it's going to start a trend of someone being like, hey, you know what? I know you sampled my song, but, you know, 
I, I think you've suffered enough. Yeah. Um, I know who's not going to do that is Sting. Sting will never do it. Uh, the estate of Marvin Gaye will never, never do, do it. it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the, the estate of Marvin Gaye will, they, they like, we want 110% <laughs> if we can get it. So uh, I would say congratulations to Richard Ashcroft. I think, you know, the, his uh, his legacy in the Britpop world, mm-hmm. in the in the genre, will has been um, – there's closure to it, yeah. at least. Okay, yeah, because this can is feel, yeah. this is the song that everybody knows by mm-hmm. the Verve, and it's like he couldn't enjoy any, any of, success, of it. Yeah, and at now this point, at least I'm pushing he has it again. It. Now it's his again. At least it's his again. Yeah, I start pushing it like hardcore. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, cruel intentions too. No, no. Wait, you know what? I take it back. There is a no. That's a prequel. There's there a, is a cruelty. Yeah, it's a horrible prequel, dude. And it was supposed to be a TV show, which they canceled the project. So yeah. it, it, it's All this really better. bad TV movie. All for the better. <laughs> um, in other news, uh, Adam Levine from the band uh, Adam and the Levines. <laughs> Uh, is leaving the voice. Uh, I didn't know it had been on for sixteen seasons, but I feel like that means eight years. <laughs> probably they probably do one or two. They probably do two or more per. But yeah, eight years sounds about right. Uh, he is. He will be leaving the show. He is one of the original coaches of the show. Um, he won't be returning. Uh, Carson Daly announced this news. Um, Carson, da- we still listen to Carson Daly. He's on the Today Show. Carson Daly's on the Today Show? Yeah. How old are we? Uh, to where people have forgotten. Uh, oh, Jesus, man. Ay, ay, ay. He's on the Today Show. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Levine had retweeted a promo for The Voice in which he was announced to be returning <laughs> as a coach with John Legend, Kelly Clarkson, and Blake Shelton. Uh, but uh, there will still be a familiar face on The Voice. He will be replaced by Gwen Stefani, so she'll be returning to the show. I guess that uh, we're not going to get that no doubt reunion. <laughs> no, yeah, not not just yet. Uh, and what's weird is that the um, this is the show like it's one of those talent show contests type of thing, but. I don't know any contestant that's been on The Voice. I mean, as far I mean, I know you've mentioned Megan Dia, Meg from Megan Dia. Yeah, no, uh, no, Dia. Excuse me, Dia, Dia from Megan Dia. Yeah, uh, and Javier Cologne. That's it. That's it. That is it. And I, I still don't know who those people are. Yeah. <laughs> um, the The show has always been about the coaches, uh, and they've made millions. Yeah. I'm I, I feel like Adam Levine probably made at least fifteen million just to be a coach, quote yeah. unquote coach, on this show. I'm pretty sure um, a lot of the success of his band Maroon Five is owed to his time on that show. I don't think they get this Super Bowl without him being blown up on The Voice. I don't think that what's, happens. What's interesting? I thought there would be like a little bit of synergy that. Maybe when the Super Bowl was on NBC, then you have Adam and Levine's perform at halftime. Yeah. But it was last year. Well, not last year. It was like three months ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> but it was on Fox. 
Yeah. No, no, CBS, my bad. Yeah, CBS. Yeah, CBS. Um, and because I thought I always thought there would be some synergy if there was so if the act was associated with the network in some way, mm-hmm. like the one year that the Who. <laughs> Did all the CSI themes I on CBS. I had to explain who they were, <laughs> no pun intended, to um, somebody at my job who was wearing a Who shirt. And of course, Dutton, I'm like, oh, you like the Who? Oh, no, I just, I like the shirt. What are some of their songs? And instantly I'm like, Did that person seen... get the shirt at Hot Topic? Probably. I was like, have you seen CSI? Yeah. Every theme song is them. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, yeah! Oh my God, that's them? Hey, yeah, that's the Who. Who are you? That's the Who. <laughs> You gotta love it, right? You gotta love it. Now yeah. they're a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get to our next story, uh, let's look at the charts. So, uh, Hot 100 going into their eleventh week on the charts, and eight weeks, well, seven weeks at number one. Jeez, Old Town Road. This song is that old. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the new video old town road the oh movie? with uh chris rock ha yeah. ha davis mm-hmm. um there was i can't remember her name but she was the one who wrote uh billy ray cyrus's verse on this on the song yeah. really man uh, she's I thought a rapper billy ray had bars. Herself. man she gave him bars billy ray bars <laughs> they should have should have got cowboy troy man cowboy troy don't need a ghostwriter <laughs> We saw that. We saw that spot. Big and rich. <laughs> they don't need ghostwriters. They started this. <laughs> uh, who to also add Vince Staples, who uh, he raced Lil Nas X. Like he had a car. Lil Nas X is on yeah. his horse. That's it. He was paying him. Right? He's like, hey, don't touch his horse, man. <laughs> no, I just I have to wonder, like, how does someone like a cowboy Troy feel? He's like, I did this, and y'all ain't back me. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Lil Nas X is actually a fan of Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh. So I don't know if Lil Nas X will, like, if he even knows about Cowboy Troy. <laughs> or did his, if his country fandom stopped at Billy Ray Cyrus, yeah. it's a pretty good place to stop, I it's guess. Like, who your biggest? You know of... someone big enough. You know someone everybody yeah. knows. But... Did he know about the Cowboy Troy era, you know, playing chicken with the train? It's like, who are some of your influences? <laughs> well, you know, I grew up listening to Cowboy Troy, and he just really, <laughs> like, his brand of hip-hop just really spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that, that'd be funny. That'd uh, be funny. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I don't see him doing that, though, because I feel like, um, I mean, he got the endorsement deal with Wrangler. Yeah. But I don't know if he's trying to move on from this country motif that everyone wants him Good to do. Luck. But we still okay. see him wearing the cowboy hats yeah. and the rhinestone shirts. Like they're so, like, you better, you got to go all in. <laughs> if he ever does an AMA, I'm asking him. Yeah. If he's a Cowboy Troy fan and what he thinks of the music mafia. <laughs> Let us know your findings, please. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, debuting at number two on the chart. Uh, Lori's uh, earworm. Yeah, she talked uh, to, she talked this one up quite a bit. Uh, I don't care by the most influential artist in black music. I and, forgot he hasn't been on the charts in so long. I forgot yeah. about that name. Uh, oh man! All, along with the, uh, I know we called him the Canadian Spotify champion. Did we? Yeah. Okay, I'm down with that. <laughs> um, number three is "Sucker" by the Jonas Brothers. 
Number four, Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. Um, there was a uh, a video of uh, Rain Wilson from The Office. He plays the white. Mm-hmm. Uh, she Billy claims to be the biggest Office fan. Really? Yeah. Okay. And he he came over to her house and and asked some some really tough questions. Like I watched The Office like five times all the way through. Oh wow! And I I missed some stuff. <laughs> uh, but it was um, it was a pretty it was a pretty funny video. I still have never heard this song though. Me either. <laughs> or maybe I haven't. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> number five is Bad Guy. Uh, I'll be sorry. Number four is Bad Guy with Billy Eilish. Number four, Wow by Sirius Malone. Number six, Sunflower by Sirius Malone and Sway Lee. Number seven, Dancing with the Stranger by the biggest Michael Jackson hater featuring Normani. No. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, man, people really went in on him for that yeah. for like a minute. Uh, that's Sam Smith, guys. Um, number eight, Me by the Fake News of Pop Music featuring Brandon Urie. Number nine, Talk by Khalid. And number 10, Without Me by Halsey. Uh, let's look at the Billboard 200. These are the albums. Should be Panic at the Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> number one, debuting at number one, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind by Logic. Um, number two, When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go by Billie Eilish. Number three, Free Spirit by Khalid. Number four, debuting whoa, at number four. Whoa, he's still kicking. Sammy Hagar and the Circle. I've never heard of this act, but they exist. He was always Sammy Hagar <laughs> and the Wabaritas, and they just drank all the time. Yeah, I thought he made hot sauce and tequila or Basically. Something. I mean, that's what he lives <laughs> off of. It's not a bad life. but <laughs> uh, They have an album called The Space Between. Number huh. five, Thank You, Next, by the hardest working ponytail in the game. Number six, Greatest Hits 1, 2, and 3, The Platinum Collection by Queen. I, what? How's I mean, how's this movie up again? Bohemian Rhapsody already had their award season. Yeah. Um, as far as the film, I don't know where this well, is. Well, I mean, from. I know they're touring, so it could be uh, okay. a is tour package, maybe. Okay. So, they, or this could be their greatest hits, their version of their greatest hits by the Eagles. <laughs> which I would really hate if that was the yeah. case. It's cheating. Um, <laughs> number seven. This one's for you by Luke Combs. Number eight, Baby on Baby by the Baby. these rappers, man. Number nine, Beer Bongs and Bentleys by Sirius Malone. And number ten, Here Comes the Cowboy by Mac DeMarco, debuting at number ten. Hmm. Okay. All right, and let's look at the Artist 100. These are top ten artists. Number one, BTS. Uh, they were on. Uh, uh, Colbert last week. Really? Did they, did they look healthy? They looked healthy. Um, okay. It was a, uh, it was kind of a, they, it was a tribute to the Beatles first mm-hmm. appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. So it was in black and white and screaming girls or whatever. Yeah. So that, that was their performance on that show. Uh, number two, Billie Eilish. Uh, number three, Khalid. Number four, Sirius Malone. Do you take him seriously this week? Uh, I mean, I saw him in a really cool commercial about being a gamer, so I guess I can take him a little more serious. All right. Number five, the hardest working ponytail in the game. Number six, Pink. Number seven, the most influential artist in black music. <laughs> Number eight, Lil Nas X. Number nine, Luke Combs. He put out an album, so there you go. Uh, along with Khalid and Billy, well, 
No, Khalid's album was already out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, well, Luke Combs is in there because he just put out an album. And number ten, Sammy Hagar. Wow, because he put out an album. That's funny. Sammy Hagar and the Circle was not invited. <laughs> no, no, just Sammy Hagar by himself. Um, so yeah. Um, and the last thing we want to get to here is uh, look at a story that biopics. And documentaries are starting to pick up and the music industry has been betting on them to uh, increase revenue. Uh, Like I mentioned with Queen, with Bohemian Rhapsody coming out, a lot of people are paying attention to Queen. Um, And if they're on tour again and this Greatest Hits album is part of the package, uh, is increasing revenue for the music industry. Yeah. Uh, So I wanted to get your thoughts on that as far as is this, is this just the music industry trying to, you know, keep up because, you know, we don't have the, the CD and, and we don't have the record sales of 20 years ago. It, I mean, like it could be, I think that the music industry is always going to be trying to find that next revenue source. And, uh, some of these movies have done pretty well. You know, the, the, um, the Bohemian Rhapsody did well at the Oscars. I don't know how well it did in theaters, but I can imagine it's it wasn't a big budget film where like you're spending, you know, a hundred million dollars. So if you spend what, ten to fifteen million dollars on it, I'm sure you can make that back easily. And I'm pretty sure you had to pay royalties on the music that you used, which probably goes back to some of the record companies, and not to mention Queen is on tour with Adam Lambert. The record sales are doing a little bit better because of the tour and the movie raises the profile. So I could see that. I could definitely see if I'm sitting as one of you know the last major labels, like, yeah, this is a, a way for me to make some quick bucks. Only thing is you can't do it with every act. You're not making a Juice World biopic. You're just not. <laughs> He's too new. You know, so then that means you got to kind of start going and mining up some of these old acts to come out there and just be like, hey, you feel like, you know, let's make another go at it. I think when we'll really start to see the money grabs, though, is like when we start to see biopics for like very lesser known artists yeah. that should not have like, oh, yeah, here's a biopic for the kinks. Like, mm, like we probably don't need that. <laughs> there was a biopic that I saw. It was for this, um, this um, Swedish artist. And... It looked like it was like a big budget film. Like, oh well, I, I I I wish that America knew about him or that he sang in English because it looked <laughs> like a, he he went through a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I I feel like there has to be an effort. Like I feel like the the movie has to be good for this for that to work. Mm-hmm. Right. And if it's well well written. Yeah. Um, it probably won't be well written to my standards, <laughs> but at least well written. Like. You know, y'all know how I feel about Straight Outta Compton, <laughs> and the screenplay was nominated for an Oscar. That that really upset me. <laughs> um, but uh, there was this uh, the article I found here from Billboard. Brian Monaco, who is the president and global chief marketing officer for Sony, um, he was skeptical about the the film Bohemian Rhapsody because of all the stuff that it went through. It took ten years to make. Yeah. Uh Sasha Baron Cohen. I remember hearing Sasha Baron Cohen was gonna play Freddie Mercury and he yeah. was gonna direct it too, but then they got another director. But then um Sasha Baron Cohen left the project. So this has been ten years in the making. And you know, once something takes ten years, you wonder if it's gonna work. Mm-hmm. Uh but he said his skepticism went away 
during the movie's finale, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> which was the performance at Live Aid. Mm. And I saw someone post it on, there's this channel I found on YouTube in which the music biopics, um, they do a, a side-by-side yeah. of if they find the actual footage compared to how it's portrayed in the film. Okay. It was it was probably like 98% exact. Really? Okay. I mean, the only thing like, okay, uh, Freddie Mercury had it, had the mic in his right hand and Rami Malek has it in his left. But that was like, it was like little <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Um, That was the difference. But they did it with a lot of other movies. They did that with uh, Selena and Ray yeah. and... Um, Walk There's hard another one. <laughs> well, well, walk the, the line. line yeah. Walk the line. Yes. <laughs> Very dark film. Um, but they, but a lot of side by side stuff like that. So, but I think part of it is that you want to get everything as close to being, you know, be accurate. Yeah. At least with the story. Yeah. And it has to be well written to where, like, a lot of people had some issues with some things being left out in the movie. And I feel like that's going to happen, mm-hmm. but hopefully it's not glaring like with Straight Outta Compton. <laughs> uh, but I still haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, but if anyone disagrees with how that, um, if the story was good enough or if they left too much out or mm-hmm. they tried to portray the people in a certain way, you know. I might try to watch that this weekend. But uh, some certain to- some certain projects are coming up. Um and and with the with the guy with uh, Brian Monaco, he after he saw the film, he kind of went right ahead with the marketing, give it a big marketing campaign. We need to put everything behind this because it's going to be good. Um, so he's working on some things. Uh, um, he had licensed songs for the film adaptation of Jersey Boys, which okay. was directed by Clint Eastwood. Not a lot of people. I haven't really heard any great things about it but i think the main thing is because it's adaptation of a broadway musical you have to get um people who know how to sing Mm -hmm. on stage yeah (laughs) to to probably like make this crossover so it didn't really have the star power okay um there's also he's also working on beautiful the carol king musical which is going to be developed by tom hanks uh company which is called Plato. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, he worked on Hank Williams' uh, biopic "I Saw the Light," which had um, what's his name, Tom Hiddleston, got to play Loki. Oh yeah, I think I didn't see that, but I saw clips from it. Uh, I don't know if that was any good. I don't either. Um, it might have been Oscar bait. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, and he's he worked on getting licensing for the Beatles songs for the film "Yesterday," which is about a man who. Ends up being the only man on earth who knows the Beatles songs, um, which is hilarious. To me. <laughs> I, I might watch it just because of it's such an absurd uh, music science fiction. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, the article asked, you know, but Sony have a catalog of over three million songs. How many of the artists uh, have the repertoire repertoire with compelling stories? Mm-hmm. And uh, Monaco says we really started digging into our catalog. And he's begun developing a Marvin Gaye biopic with Dr. Dre. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, who got permission from the Marvin Gaye estate to use his likeness and music for a film. I've heard about a Marvin Gaye film for like 15 years. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, don't get your hopes up. Kids. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. Get, I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> um, what do you say from uh, my brother? Me. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's going to be some other uh, some other films that are coming. Uh, well, we Rocket Man comes out yeah. as of this recording. It comes out next week. Um, Pavarotti. Uh, Ron Howard is doing a documentary about Pavarotti. So yeah, this um, um, Scorsese is doing a, a the documentary Bob about Bob Dylan. Very interesting. Yeah, and uh, the Bruce Springsteen one as well. And the Bruce Bruce Springsteen. Um, well, it's using his music. Yeah, it's uh, find it by the light. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, what's um, so you call it, that's a jukebox musical? Is what you call that, right? If they use like someone's yeah, music? if they use someone's music, okay, but with a story not necessarily related to the artist. Because I always wanted to do a show in which it was a TV show, and each week you took a song and wrote um, the episode around it. And yeah. the first idea I had was uh, an episode called Ironic, based on the song Ironic by Alanis Morissette. I always wanted to do that, but I never knew what it was called. So that, that, I might try <laughs> that. Um, and, and we've had Tim on the show, and I, uh, when we were at West Georgia, um, he had started working on a musical based on the... Um, Based on Homer's The Odyssey, but mm-hmm. with the music of Journey. Yes, I remember him mentioning that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember him asking me like, "What what should we call it? We have Odyssey and Journey." And I was like, "I don't know, Walk." <laughs> like, like that. I know I said something silly like that. Um, I would love to write musicals. I don't like musicals. I would write a jukebox musical. I would. I would. I'll be interested in, in like a biopic, but it would, I would probably go be a little hipster with it, a little obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think we could write. No one could should do anything related to Biggie and Tupac for at least another twenty years. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was just too much in the last two years. Too, much. too much. Too much Biggie and Tupac. Notorious. <laughs> But, <laughs> I mean, I would, but as far as like something in hip hop, I would want to do something about, um, something about, uh, like the beginning of Def Jam. That would be interesting. I think that, but I think is there enough, is there enough people that care outside of Atlanta? Well, they would, they would. not, no, and I'm thinking so, so deaf. Oh God, no, Def Jam at Russell's. Okay. No, oh, that would, okay. So, so yeah. deaf might be a good one. So, so deaf. I just don't know outside that of that. Too, yeah. That would probably be a documentary. Niche. Because for me, but that shows. I would like a biopic on So So <laughs> but yeah, Def Jam. I could, yeah, I could definitely see that. That'd be very interesting. Or, um, or what about? I mean, there is the documentary about organized noise, yeah. but I guess putting it into a into a, a film, mm-hmm. I guess, so people can really understand like the essence of how they came to be, like that, working in, like you know, they're in someone's basement. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot. It's low ceilings. <laughs> I, I feel like that would be a BET movie, <laughs> in the same in the in the um, Bobby Brown New Edition universe. Yeah, and of course, well, and, and I would if it was for TV. Mm-hmm. There's, there's. I feel like there's more possibilities yeah. if it was TV. Like uh, the <laughs> the B2K story. <laughs> Somebody wore a B2K 2019 tour shirt. To work today, and I was very disappointed in them. 
And she said that What a Girl Wants was her favorite song because I started singing it jokingly. Like, come on, be better. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's going to be um, oh, some other top, other ones that are coming. Well, there's the Wu-Tang documentary. Of Mikes and Men, which That's I on love. Showtime. I love that um, The Story of Motown uh, is another one. There's one about the Apollo. There's one about the Go-Go's. I want to see that. I saw the behind the music. It was, I was interesting. Like, the, the behind the music yeah. was like, oh, what? what? These they, were, they were not clean cut girls. They were not. They were not. <laughs> not at all. No, 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 no. Um, Everybody was doing it in the 80s, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. That's kind of how it was, man. Um, and, uh, uh, oh, and another thing they brought up is that with any tours or projects coming up, a documentary, like with Lady Gaga, there's the Five Foot Two documentary. It's still on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a documentary on Bad Boy, which is on Apple Music. Uh, so putting them in, like making exclusive content for these kinds of sites yeah. or these kinds of platforms um, can um, uh, will also boost revenue. Yeah, because the people will want to hear the songs. They'll go and stream them. Download them, or if you're above the age of 50, buy it from a store. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think it's it's kind of one of those we've seen that what, what movies can do. We've seen the power of the movie once it gets, I mean, hell, shallow because of A Star is Born is a top 10 billboard hit. Um, and also adding here that the it says the volume of vile pics and documentaries entering the market belies the fact that they can be demanding to produce. Jeff Jampol, he ordered, he manages the estate of the doors, Ramones, Jefferson airplane and Janis Joplin. And he says, putting together a biopic is like organizing a box of snakes, Ooh. <laughs> uh, trying to get original songs, uh, getting the licensing for them. And then if they're no longer living, getting permission from the estate, uh, just for for a book or magazine <laughs> or just using archival footage, um, it asks for a lot. Yeah, sounds like it. Because uh, I, I had heard about a Janis Joplin biopic for years. Um, and the, the three names that they mentioned, I've heard about them associated with it. Pink, Michelle Williams, um, not the one from Destiny's Child. Um, <laughs> uh, I hope oh, that'd be weird. That a lot of outcry. <laughs> uh, Amy Adams. I heard them all associated with uh, Janice Joplin. Can Amy Adams or Michelle Williams sing? I think Michelle Williams can sing. Okay. Um, I've never. I don't. Well, Amy Adams was in. Um, what was that movie where she was the princess? Enchanted. Oh, she was. Okay, I don't know if she sung in that movie, but yeah, she was. I, well, I, yeah, I don't know if that was her voice, but. Yeah, and then I've heard about the Rick James. <laughs> Rick James biopic would be just insane. If honestly, if I'm Dave Chappelle, <laughs> I just as just as a joke, I go in there and, and audition in character from my show. He <laughs> probably do it. I it'd could be, see him. Yeah, do it. it'd be hilarious. I feel like he could probably he could probably get the part. I'm Rick James. <laughs> like. I, so there are lots of um, uh, well, and and to bring up like why the why Hollywood, uh, why well why with the music industry the biopics can increase revenue um, on demand streams of Queen's music, 
after six months after Bohemian Rhapsody came out, on-demand streams of Queen's music have more than tripled. Yeah. I totally um, believe it. Yeah. Sales have almost quadrupled. Um, albums, uh, 483% increase. And that accounts to 18 million in revenue mm. versus 4.4 million in the previous six months. Wow. So the biopic, it might be the place to go. Um, and also, and, uh, they have a little chart here as well. You include Motley Crue's biopic, oh, which is dirt. on Netflix. <laughs> um, I'm not really inclined to watch it, but yeah. but uh, streaming numbers and uh, album sales have gone up for Motley Crue. Hmm. I bet they like that. So um, biopic might be the way to go, but it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, it's gonna take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I also heard about like um, Teddy Pendergrass, a biopic for that, taking years. <laughs> like I saw that there's an unsung episode about Teddy Pendergrass, and um, Tyrese was in talks to play him, okay. and Tyrese got to talk to Teddy Pendergrass. So Teddy Pendergrass died in like 2005. Yeah. So good lord, <laughs> it still has not happened. He's made how many Fast and Furious movies since then? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're like twenty. <laughs> so um, these things they, they they do take a lot of time. So um, that's why I do appreciate when they do come out. Um, I just I, I just root for if, if if this much time has been taken, I want them to be done right. Yeah, agreed. So um, I'm going to remake Straight Outta Compton. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Okay. All right, Ben. Um, that brings to the end of the music news. Why don't you tell the people about your earworm of the week? All right. So this goes back. Um, God, when did we discover GarageBand.com? Like 2006, 2005? It might have been 2003. Yeah, it was a while back. A lot of great stuff on that. Um, rest in peace. GarageBand.com. This is a website, not the not the app, yeah, or the musical music um, software. Sorry, not that. Um, there was a website called um, GarageBand.com, and I think they broke the band ten years. They had the song Wasteland, mm-hmm. like that's their big kind of claim to fame. Jeff Bird, who was also on there a lot, auditioned for some sh- for um, the American Idol version of a band show or whatever, but <laughs> didn't really go anywhere. But um, there's a lot of unsigned music, unsigned artists um, on this website, and you could join up, you could put your music on there, and you could get reviews by reviewing other people's music. Yeah. And so, um, as a result, that's how you found a lot of these artists that you probably never would have found, because there's a ton of music on here. And you could hear, like, the top artists, but then, like, some of the lesser-known artists, like, I remember there was a band called the Baron James Band, um, there's a band called uh, Intrinsic, later known as the Hot Rocks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and some of these bands were like really, you know, put their stuff out there. They kept making stuff. Um, and so just randomly while I was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, shout out to my in-laws, um, I decided to relook up a band that I had loved that was on there called Gramophone. I don't know why they call this song Mr. T. Like, that's such an odd name. 
And it doesn't. It's not going to sound anything like you think it's going to sound with a name like Mr. T. I can guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's one of those songs that um, yeah, we heard, and it's it's a beautiful song. I would say uh, for those who like, uh, if you like more Chiba mm, or okay. Zero Seven, um, Hoover Phonic. I have not heard that name in quite some time. Hoover Phonic. I think you you guys might like this. So this is Mr. T by Gramophone, and we'll be right back. Mr. T by Gramophone. It's a beautiful and song, man. The strings and yeah, it's um, this would have been fit in perfectly on MTV Two back in two thousand one. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't get signed off the strength of that alone. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to know because I can't find anything about them. I want to know the makeup of this band because there's a lot going on. Um. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this song. Yeah. For it to be, especially for this to be like a band on garageband.com. I always wanted that kind of string section and they just sound bigger than, you know, yeah. So who knows? We'll probably never know. This band probably doesn't even play anymore. <laughs> no. Their album's out of print. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, you can find that on our BTT YHT Earworms of the Week playlist on Spotify. And I did not mention we were on Spotify at the beginning. Yeah. I didn't mention that at all. Yeah. I've been, um, I don't know if you remember the song Gary Ball. Yeah. I've been looking for that song for quite some time and I cannot find it. (laughs) I don't know if you're ever going to find that song. Yeah. (laughs) Gary Ball. He's having a ball tonight. It's yeah. He's looking at me. Was like it's 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 as absurd as it sounds. Yeah, yeah. Or um, what was the other one? Uh, 
well, okay. You, you you will see in a little E next to the title of this episode, Hootercock. I have I have that on my computer somewhere. <laughs> Nate D and the Hounds and the Housers or something like that. Hootercock. That's that is quite possibly the funniest song I've heard in my life. I feel like we have to but play even it though, now. Like, I'll I'll see if we can find it. Well, no, just I, if, even if it's not today, I'll br- I'll send you the MP3 or something. Um, I would love it if we could find those guys. I might put that up on Reddit and just see if I could find them. Okay, it's not on, it's not on YouTube, but um, yeah, and like <laughs> like forty percent of it, if not more, <laughs> is yeah. I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> oh God, it's, it's, it's absolutely genius. We should make our own version of it. But now I'm gonna I'll send it to you once I find it, and we should totally see if we can find. See if we can find them, them. If we can, like, who made this? We're not mad. We just, <laughs> we just want to know. We just want to find them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we uh, started the show um, on uh, with uh, Car Wash by Rose Royce. And especially thinking about Car Wash, um, the song and the soundtrack, um, everything was put together mostly by one man, one man named Norman Whitfield. Passionate man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wants you to have passion yeah. to start off with. Um, but with uh, Norman Whitfield, um, Motown songwriter and producer, uh, he, he was kind of the, he kind of took the throne of as far as the songwriter and producer uh, from Smokey Robinson, kind of took the throne from him. Yeah. Um, as far as being a primary songwriter, he's got lots of hits. Oh, he worked um, um, a lot with The Temptations, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Um, then, of course, Rose Royce, uh, The Undisputed Truth, um, uh, Edwin Starr. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, so it's, he's got an interesting career because he's not the person. So, like, I think... People probably think of Smokey Robinson when you first think of who are the most famous writers of of Motown. During or, the, or Holland, Dozier Holland. Yeah. Norman Whitfield, I thought, was more active in the 80s before we started talking about him. Mm. So seeing what he did and and and, and reading about how he, you know, he kind of took uh, the temptations into like a kind of a darker area. So you think of, you know, his probably most famous song that he did with them was Papa Was a Rolling Stone. But then, like you know, a song like "Ball of Confusion." That's that's yeah, kind of a song with about, a little bit of social commentary. Yeah, and a lot of his songs were. Mm-hmm. Um, along with "Pop Was a Rolling Stone," um, "Ball of Confusion," there a war. Yeah, uh, "Cloud Nine," "Smiling Faces." Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, those were. Um, even though I don't. Uh, Barry Gordy probably didn't like some of these songs because yeah. it has social commentary. Uh, he put them out anyway. And with some of them, they were recorded by multiple artists. Like, uh, I found out recently that War is associated with Edward Starr, mm-hmm. but The Temptations recorded the song first. I did not know that. Okay. Um, I Heard It Through the Grapevine uh, was done by Gladys Knight and the Pips first. Mm-hmm. No, actually, um, it was actually done by... Smokey Robinson and the Miracles first. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then Gladys Knight 
and then Marvin Gaye. And eventually John Fogarty. <laughs> and also the California Raisins. raisins. Uh, <laughs> that's in my heart, that's who did it first. The California Raisins. <laughs> so um uh you know, there are multiple versions of, of his songs. Uh and he was a and they're they're distinctly different versions. Like they they mm-hmm. sound different, uh, so they 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 stand on their own. Um, well, then when uh, this topic was broached, I think is the word. Yeah, that's what. Um, I mean. <laughs> uh, what was your impression of of uh, his songwriting style or production style? What did you hear in the music? It sounded so. I listened to I guess the popular songs first, and they sound kind of grandiose. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you listen to the, you know, there's a lot of big production, um, a lot of heavy instrumentation, which I think we just, we don't get a lot of today. So, um, if you compare it to what is being released today and maybe really within like the last maybe 15 to 20 years, it sounds bigger and not even just bigger, but even bigger for its time. So I don't know if that makes sense, but then, you know, there's this level of funk. Like, I think the stuff that he did with The Temptations, which, as you said, was the group that he worked with the most, it was a lot funkier than a lot of the stuff they did before. And I think that was kind of the difference between where he had them going versus where Smokey Robinson had them going. Like, I think he kind of assimilated a little bit when he first started, but then he just took them in a different direction. Well, yeah, I mean, with Smokey Robinson, Smokey Robinson is, um, you could say he's an R&B songwriter, but he's a pop songwriter. yes. Yes, a very good pop songwriter too. But but pop for black people. Yeah, <laughs> kind of songwriter. Agreed. That's very um, apt. And with with Norman, yeah, he he kind of did that to start with because I think he came to Motown. He was like nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> so he was very young when he when he got um, to Detroit. So what he was writing, he was kind of like you know if he was working with Smokey or or anything or boy Barry Gordy who did write of some songs. Um, his songs sounded like what Smokey might also be writing, mm-hmm. and then with also with having the Funk Brothers, yeah, um, the songs sound the songs have a have a style. Yeah, they have a distinct sound, and that's I feel like that's what he started as. Yeah, and then he started to kind of branch a little bit more, and that's when he started to you know as they called it was it psychedelic soul, I believe is what they called it. He kind of started to find his own voice, and the music just started to sound different it had you could you could tell he was bringing in more um he was bringing in more elements of other styles of music um well one of his his major influences was sly and the family stone yeah and uh funkadelic so taking um their kind of sound in which there was a lot of a big rock influence um because everyone played live instruments back then. Yeah. So you couldn't go like today where it's like, oh, they play live instruments. So they bring out. No, everyone played live instruments. So like how do you distinguish yourself? And you think of, so mentioning Funkadelic, heavy rock influence in Funkadelic. Oh, People yeah. don't realize that. Um, They're probably, a, they's probably considered an influence among many metal artists. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you could, and yeah, now that you mentioned that, I do kind of hear that now, some of that sound. And what he was doing, um, 
the psychedelic soul, as I think they called it, you know, um, black rock was another <laughs> term they used, even though we invented it, but whatever. So, um, <laughs> yes, 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 we did. We're going to own that. Oh, man. But yeah, it, it was, it was, it, as he just kind of kept going, he got a little di- more different. And you kind of heard that um, after he started his record label, you know, not to get too ahead of myself. You could kind of hear, like, with each of the different acts that he was helping to write for, a different style of music went to each one. Well, yeah, because he um, he also had he had a vision, yeah, for what he wanted the the acts to be. Like uh, with Rose Royce, he wanted them to it's supposed to be classy and sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, with Undisputed Truth, it was more um, I'm experimental almost. Yeah, um, and I think their song, Smiling Face, sometimes that's their biggest song, but The Temptations did it first. But interestingly enough, they did Papa Was a Rolling Stone first. Mm. So that scene in the Temptations movie was completely dramatized. <laughs> that was that was a big that was big uh big po uh what's the Poetic license. Poetic license, dramatic license. liberties. Yeah. They 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 went big with that yeah. one because that probably didn't even happen. Um <laughs> it definitely didn't happen like that. No. Um so he, uh, and like you said before, he's known for the his grandiose productions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to see how long was this? How long was Papa was a Rolling oh, Stone? Oh, that was on a the long album track. It's 12 minutes. Like, the single is seven minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I think. And at the time, people were still doing like two and a half minute songs. I think we've actually come back to that, especially in hip hop. <laughs> yeah, but the songs were like. Like three minutes at most. If it was like three oh five, or like look, uh, can you cut, can you cut like five seconds off of that? Yeah, just <laughs> fade out quicker. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he definitely went bigger as far as the songs being longer, um, being um, being grander, and I probably uh, influenced. I mean, he may have if he wasn't influenced, then he may have influenced some funk bands who going into the eighties. Those big R and B bands like uh, uh, like Atlantic Star mm, mm-hmm. or Daz, <laughs> you know they their songs would be like, or or, or even Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, yeah. Because with the songs they did with like Sherelle and Alexander O'Neill, mm-hmm. SOS, all the SOS bands SOS songs band, are like yes. seven minutes long. Yes, at least, at least even seven the minutes. album covers were similar. <laughs> <laughs> Like that, as a matter of fact, that probably was a big influence on them. <laughs> SOS. There's another, not the Gap Band, because I felt the Gap Band was a little more poppy than that. But um, I could definitely, yeah, SOS Band definitely seemed like they had some like experimentation. Yeah. In them, <laughs> yes, I definitely hear that. Um. So yeah. Uh. The being grander and and bigger with the songs, um, but then also like having a very specific subject matter mm-hmm. um, as far as something political, uh, not just with uh, with love songs or maybe something a little controversial. Well, not controversial, but something um, that kind of pushed the envelope as far as a topic for a song. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Papa Was a Rolling Stone is about a deadbeat dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Cloud Nine is about... Um, I don't know if it's about doing drugs to get away from your responsibilities <laughs> or 
just finding a way to get away from your responsibilities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and a war is about, you know, this was the peak of the Vietnam war yeah. basically. Uh, so, um, always being, you know, trying to be with the times, but also pushing the envelope as far as the, uh, production. Um, he's known for, of course, the longer songs, um, vocal arrangements, um, multi, well, what, what, what do they mean here by multi-track drums? Multi-track drums, um, cause I've multi-track guitar, I've multi-track other instruments. I imagine multi-track drums, just kind of what it sounds like playing different drum tracks or even, and I'd have to go back and really to study production. It could be the way in which the drums were miked. So miking the snare individually, miking the toms and all that stuff rather than just maybe giving it one overhead mic so that you could isolate different parts of the drum. Like, oh, the snare's a little too loud. Let's turn down the snare track. Oh, the hi-hat's a little too loud. Let's turn that down. I'd have to look into that to make to be sure, though, which is what I would imagine. Um, someone like him, if you want more control over how the drums sound, um, that would be that's how you would do it. And I'll, Let me Google that real quick. That's a good question. All right. Um, so... Um like I said, with working with the working at Motown, um, he for a while he pro- he produced everything for the Temptations, um, and he uh, wrote "I Heard It Through the Grapevine," mm-hmm. um, and then but when but when he started to take off, I guess get more recognition as a producer songwriter, is when Dennis Edwards came to the Temptations. Uh, because with their psychedelic sound, it was Cloud Nine, which was the first Grammy that Motown ever won. Really? Um, he won another one for uh, Papa Was a Rolling Stone. And he also won another one for the instrumental to Papa Was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is definitely like the signature track. Um, if you, you know, I'm trying to pull it up here, but this definitely like the, the, signature uh the signature norman whitfield production mm-hmm. uh to where he it's a it's a big sound and but also like epic um i'm trying to find the single version which is seven minutes long <laughs> <laughs> um let's see if this is it Okay, we got an ad here. Playing it from YouTube. Give me just a second. But um So it looks like that that was it cuz there's there's actually and I'm going to read through this later. There's a really good um message board going on here about the Motown recording methods and like how they would how they would condense multi-tracks down to mono and all this. It's But yeah, essentially that's what that is. Multi-tracking your drums. Everything gets recorded individually. Okay. So that you can, it's easier to mix. Um, so with this song, uh, of course, that uh, you see the Temptations movie, uh, Dennis Edwards had a problem with the lyrics. Yeah. Um, like I said, they left out that this song had already been done before. <laughs> so he's um, not changing that, 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 that lyric. <laughs> no, he wasn't changing anything. Um, and. Uh, and 
did well, of course, like we saw this with the Rolls Royce Unsung episode. Dennis mm-hmm. Edwards had to record his part dozens of times. Yeah. Um, and uh, the it it did it did get comparisons to Isaac Hayes' Shaft theme. I can hear that. I think it's better. I don't know if people get mad if I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they'll get mad. I, I mean, if they do, I don't care. So to what you were ref- to talk about though, what you were referencing, mm-hmm. um, as a producer, I was saying, you know, as with the producers we've covered, a lot of them are perfectionists. Now I don't know if every producer is a perfectionist. I, I I'm not a producer. I'm not a perfectionist. But um, the beginning of Car Wash by Rolls Royce. They recorded that for two hours, they said, like just the hand claps, just yeah, to make sure the, the hand claps sounded right. For two and a half hours. So I can only imagine a song, because I mean, like, don't get me wrong, like, Rose, that's a great song, Car Wash. I feel this is a little bit more intricate. Both have great, you know, big productions, but like, I can only imagine, like, there's probably a, a this was probably a long session. And yeah. I can only feel bad for. For these musicians, granted, that's all they knew back then. There's no Pro Tools. Can't punch in. Can't do. <laughs> like you got to play it again and again. And honestly, that's probably what made us better musicians back to, then. But. And and do it all in one take. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless, and I mean, like you know, talking about multi-tracking, and this would be very interesting to look into. I mean, I don't know if if there was any overdubbing. Like, hey, you're gonna, um, we'll go back and we'll record the guitar later. Or we'll go back and record this later. But everything you saw back then was we're recording it in a big live room. Everyone's doing this at once. If there's a choir, they're over here. We got a big, we have to have a big recording studio for the choir, and you'll be isolated in a vocal booth over here if you're the lead singer. And we got the the musicians over here. So like I can just imagine like what went into trying to record this song. My God. <laughs> uh, and then like. Like, how did they do it as far as, like, the single version, which is nearly seven minutes? Yeah. And then the album version, which is 12 minutes. Like, do they just, like, cut from tape? Or yeah. did they do a whole seven So they'll slice. They'll, minutes. like, use. So um, they'll actually use, like, you know, they'll slice up tape and stuff like that, which is, like, I just don't know how you do that. Like, they were, but they're, they would sit there and they would take a razor and slice where they wanted uh, it to like stop. Editing film. Old yeah. School. Yeah. That's what they would do. And some people were so good at it. Kevin was telling a story about from the Black Album. Like, they could just, they were just doing it, like, not even listening, just just cutting. Because this was, you know, no Pro Tools yet. <laughs> Thank God for Pro Tools, man. One <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, thing I, uh, um, along with the, the production and, and the, the, the way that everything sounds um while there's while that maybe is a signature of Norman Whitfield the mm-hmm. the he liked to do things like vocally different with okay. artists yeah um or trying to like more uh capitalize on something that would work better mm-hmm. vocally like um looking at uh I heard it through the grapevine mm-hmm if you hear Gladys Knight in the Pips version, yeah, you know how Gladys Knight sings, mm-hmm. and then how Marvin Gaye sings it, which is totally different. Yeah, it's 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 night and day. 
No pun um, intended. But to do like reinventing your own song, mm-hmm. it's tough. <laughs> uh, that is um, like what would bring someone to like want to do that? Like, okay, maybe it doesn't work for this artist, but we're going to do it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that and Motown did that a lot, not just Norman Whitfield, but a lot of uh, other producers or songwriters did that within Motown. Yeah, uh, Jackson Five had some covers of songs I didn't even know that they did. Uh, yeah, and for them to have that many, it's like, okay, were they in the studio like every day, all the time? For months? <laughs> well, I can imagine someone with how he kind of seems, you know, kind of obsessive. Yeah. Maybe you do that because you get to hear your vision done several times, you know. Like if you didn't like it the way it was done this time, maybe you like the way it was done this time. And I wouldn't be surprised if you heard him say, like, yeah, there were certain versions I like better than others. Like, yeah, I didn't think that Gladys did it, you know, that great, but Marvin, you know, like you you probably get a little bit of that with, with these songs. Not to mention, because he is a staff writer. You probably don't have a choice in some of these. <laughs> it's like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna squeeze the water out of this until we get everything. Like multiple people will record this song. Or or if it was just him and he's kind of obsessive, it's yeah. like you know, we could do better. Yeah. Someone else can do it. <laughs> we, but not we you. But not you. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's probably like, no, no, it's fine. You no, you did fine. Yeah, you, you did really your did. best. We're gonna give this to Marvin now. Okay. <laughs> you did your best. <laughs> um we're gonna give this to the wonders. We're gonna <laughs> <laughs> give this to the Plato catalog. Oh yeah. Um. Uh. So he 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 later formed Whitfield Records. That's where Rose Royce comes in. Uh. He convinced Undisputed Truth to move from Motown. He also brought in Willie Hutch. Um. Another a, a soundtrack king of the seventies. Oh yeah. <laughs> that might be a future episode, but. Yeah, like Kitty Loggins is the soundtrack king of the 80s. For the 70s, it, I think it's Willie Hutch. Yeah. Did The Last Dragon, enough said. Yeah. And he still moved into the 80s. 80s yes, yeah, with that. still moved into the 80s. So there you go. <laughs> um, but Rose Royce is, is the his, um, his as far as Whitfield Records, the legacy of Whitfield Records is Rose Royce with a Car Wash. Um, you know, and this was at a time where these record companies, uh, you know, if they're producing these soundtracks, hey, we need we need a soundtrack all being done by one artist with these black exploitation movies. If you consider Car Wash a black exploitation movie, yeah. Well, I don't. I've never seen it, so I don't know. It had Richard <laughs> Pryor on it, and it, it kind of looked like one, but it also, like you said, it looked like one of those just like cheesy '70s films. That yeah, yeah. It, it's become a cult classic. So, um, but it was one of those. Uh, you know of the movie, but it wasn't just one of those movies to where, okay, let's make sure the soundtrack is good and let's get a a, a big artist to do the soundtrack for <laughs> us. You know, Isaac Hayes worked, did Shaft, but he also did what called Truck Turner, which I've never what seen. What the hell is a Truck Turner? <laughs> or um, what's another one? Um, uh, I know Willie Hutch, Foxy Brown, and. Cleopatra Jones, I think. No, no, no. The the he the was Mac. in that movie. Huh, that's crazy. Oh yeah, he was in Isaac Hayes was in Truck Turner. 
He was the he was the lead character. Oh boy. <laughs> also known as Black Bullet. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Hey, we know you made this great soundtrack, but can you act? <laughs> That's kind of like uh, you heard that Mitch Hedberg, Mitch Hedberg joke. He's like, hey, you know, we, you're you're a funny comedian. Uh, you know, write write us something, write us a script. It's like, <laughs> hey, you're a great chef. Can you farm? <laughs> um, Ooh, this looks bad. <laughs> this looks so bad. I don't. I don't think it was. It was very good. They I don't. I don't to pay three ninety nine on Prime Video for this. I don't. I don't think people are are uh, are saying um, are are asking like, hey, you know what? Let's watch Truck Turner. Do you know what it's about? It's, it. Well, you said Black Bullet. I was like, oh, is it like Steve McQueen Bullet? No. <laughs> Black exploitation film about a former professional football player who becomes a bounty hunter in Los Angeles. I feel like this has remake potential. Kinda I really does. feel like this has remake potential. Yeah. But. Anyway. We digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, uh, with Norman, he he... Was he was experimental, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that was interesting that he used uh, was for the song uh, "Love Don't Live Here Anymore." Uh, he used a Lynn drum machine. A Lynn drum machine? Yeah. Which was like the. Uh, let me pull up the song here, um, because it's the it's basically some people consider it like the co lead singer <laughs> in the song. <laughs> Um, let's see. Here we go. And here's an ad. Um, That's and this was the last song that. Oh, okay, they, I know what this is. Okay. No, no, wait. Hold on. That's not it. That's not it. That is not it. Um, let's try this one. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Lynn drum machine. Producers are idiosyncratic, man. They when they get something they like, they use the crap out of it. Was this sampled somewhere? Uh, it's probably has several samples. Yeah. Uh, Madonna did has a cover of this song. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Sam, I'm sure it's been sampled several times. I think Faith Evans has a cover of it as well. It's a beautiful song. Uh, this song came about as someone trying to. I think a guy was like Paul Buckmaster was a co-writer, and um, uh, basically it's a song about pain but the one that uh, there's a guy who was um come getting over an overdose mm-hmm. <laughs> and with his own deteriorating health um that song came about miles gregory miles gregory wrote the song bug master whitfield yeah. produced it but it was about him he just got over an overdose <laughs> and he was just in in terrible physical shape yeah, it looks like Faith put it on her um, 95 album, Faith. Faith Evans. I might check out that cover. Um, so, yeah. The um, 
they used a, a drum machine in like this was 1978, mm-hmm. and it gave it a different. It it, it makes the song stand out. Mm-hmm. Um. So as far as being that, I mean. He's I I like the Wiffles being experimental here. If it was his idea or you know he approved it or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but I do like that they. Um, I don't know. Without it, it's I don't know if it's a it's a memorable song. Honestly, probably not. I I imagine <laughs> the band probably wasn't crazy about it. No, <laughs> as we saw, you know. No, I, I can make that sound. Boom, 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 boom. Like, no, mm, I got <laughs> no. this. So that that probably annoyed the crap out of them, actually. <laughs> um, it's also okay. I had to look. I saw an act called. I saw an act called Morrissey Mullen. I was like, uh, you thought it was like the Morrissey? Uh, yeah. yeah, I had to too. look. Me too. <laughs> um, were did any other songs kind of stick out to you that he's been a part of? So really. I guess because just the stuff that he did with Rose Royce kind of stuck out to me. So Love Don't Live Here Anymore. Um, I'm Going Down, which I did not know. Yeah, I heard that. I heard Mary J's version first. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but that's a really, really good song. And, you know, kind of like a soul ballad. Um, just really, really good. Yeah, I, I never knew that was a Rose Royce song. <laughs> um, it's a... To play here, um, there was like this was also from. Oh baby, <laughs> <laughs> boy, oh boy. Uh, but it's a. Let's see what this was on. Car Stop Watch it! Was well. this on episode C, on the episode season three finale of Sister Sister? They covered this. Tamara covered this song. Wow. Yeah, this was also on Car Wash. Um, This might be my favorite song by him. (laughs) This song is such a good song. Um, it's getting a little bit into the, from what we saw, we watched the unsung, uh, about Rolls Royce from what the, some of the things that they said about Norman Whitfield, as far as how, like he treated them well, but then he may have taken their money. <laughs> time um, is old. Tell us all this time. Right? <laughs> uh, and also pushing, pushing Gwen, AKA Rose out to the front. Rose Norman. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what what do you, what did you think of of how the story told and you know how much of it do you believe? Well, considering both of them were like, well, this is what happened. Nah, that's not what happened. This is what happened in her fake British accent. Um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's one of those you have to be a fly on the wall type thing. She says I didn't want half. They said she wanted half, and that's why. Like, no, you didn't quit. We fired you. So, like, that almost sounds bitter. So I'm almost inclined to believe Gwen over them because saying like, oh, no, we fired you. You didn't quit. Sounds like you're trying to save face. And that's kind of what I get from that. And it was one of those things where they say that uh, we didn't have a hit after her and she didn't have a hit after us. 
So that meant y'all both stupid. Y'all should have just stayed together. And and maybe if y'all stay together and he liked Gwen enough to keep writing songs, because I really do think when they stated, you know, he starts writing and giving his better songs to other acts on his record label, that's kind of when the hits really dried up. You, you had Norman writing you the hits, and you need Norman. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the... Um the downside of having one producer songwriter yeah uh over a long period of time mm-hmm. that you know if you want to move on from them how this is what happens yeah i mean if nothing if if, Je- if janet jackson has done nothing else well you know what she's an outlier on this <laughs> she is she's worked with jimmy jam and terry lewis for so long uh, but other songwriters have come in too, so it's not just those voices. Um, I think yeah. as far as she goes, but in this case, with him being the only voice, yeah, I thought he was in the band. <laughs> he had such an influence. <laughs> uh, but it's like the ba- the band is him. Yeah, even though like no, we uh, we do our own thing. You know, the horn should be the lead. <laughs> and Norman was like, no, they shouldn't. Man, you're right, Norman. Man, you're right. You're right, dog. Yeah, we don't need no horns, man. <laughs> but they're they are linked. But it's as if. The band is him. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so it's um, it, a, a thing that I saw is that with, I don't know, may, maybe he was trying to create friction. He knew the friction would, would, there would be friction, but trying to turn it into something positive as far as just bringing in this girl yeah. to be the lead singer to this established well, band. I felt like it was kind of like, you know, you know where your bread is buttered. He knew, and it's it's kind of one of those, like, I know what needs to be done. Like, I've done this before. Trust me. They said he was trying to turn her into the next Diana Ross. Clearly, he saw something in this girl. That's what Barry Gordy did. So yeah. he, he, was, he was taking pages out of the yeah. Barry Gordy playbook. And I think he was like, no, I know what I'm doing. And I don't think he meant it as an insult, but, yeah, I can replace you guys if I need to. Don't for and I think he was trying to teach them that like do not forget where your bread is buttered. This woman is the reason you all are famous right now. You you keep the talent level. You got to keep her happy. Like you piss her off and she leaves, there goes your meal ticket. Yeah, you can sing too, but like you're not her. And it's and it's I I think sometimes for musicians, that can be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I think back to no doubt. I feel like at some point someone told them that Gwen Stefani is the star. You got to deal with it, guys. And they probably weren't thrilled about that. But, like, Gwen was your meal ticket. Like, the person who said that probably saw it. It's like, yeah, she's the one. She's the reason that Tragic Kingdom is going to sell as many records as it sells. I mean, that's another story. As, Altogether. As, as, that's as old as time. Yeah. Um, as for the lead singer being pushed to the forefront. But much of the discomfort of the band. Yeah. yeah. The band getting pushed to the back. They think they can be there too. Like, no, there's there's only so much room for the spotlight. Yeah. And and I think, yeah, I think it's something that can hurt a music it can hurt, you know, it can hurt their feelings. Some musicians I think can deal with it where they where they're just like, you know, like I I'm pretty sure Jimmy Page, who was a you know, a guitar hero in his own right, probably didn't really care that, you know, uh, Robert Plant's getting all the spotlight. <laughs> no. he's, he's like, well, I'm, I'm still a part of one of the biggest bands in the world, so it's okay. And I'm writing a lot, so I'm getting paid. 
which is a, a bit of a, a different situation since he's still getting paid. And, and the guys from Rolls Royce, of course, were like, we, we, we're not getting paid as much as we should have been getting paid. And that's a whole other, you know, that's a tell as old as time too. read your contracts. But I think that it can be hard because you don't want to hear it. You want to think you're as important as that person. And when you realize that you aren't, it, it kind of sucks. And there were some moments that kind of like, that would, it would sting. Yeah. I mean, he put her in the mink. <laughs> he, he gave her the, he gave her the mink coat in front of everyone else. Yeah, don't forget where your bread is butter. <laughs> um, Gwen's so, the real star. <laughs> I, I don't think so. it'd be funny if he did though. <laughs> oh god. Uh, but yeah, but to, I mean, it's kind of like what? Well, what was the point of that? Like you could have just gave her the mink coat. At some other time, mm-hmm. but to do it like, no, you're a star. Yeah. As if, you know. I could replace them chickens with some, I can replace them some chickens. <laughs> like, and what was sad is like, he probably could have. Yeah. He probably could have. If he kept her and he kept writing the songs, he could probably go find six to seven funk soul musicians. In LA? Oh, God, In yes. In the 70s? Yes. Easy. Yes. Easy. Easy. <laughs> Find him at the car wash. <laughs> and you play bass? Yeah. You want to play bass in my band? Who are you? I'm Norman Whitfield. <laughs> Throw your rag down. Yes. Yes. <laughs> in a heartbeat. Um so so yeah, uh he he was definitely um uh I I I would, you know, I don't know if there's a book or anything that to kind of explain his strategies for some of those kind of moves. Mhm. But um, he wanted to, I, I think it was when she was singing uh, Love Don't Live Here Anymore. Mm-hmm. And he liked the way she sang it, but she was just so mad at, angry, at yeah. the whole situation that he used it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the scene in the Temptations movie. Use it. Use it. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, to use the, um, you know, so he would kind of needle at the, at his artist. Um, to get a great performance. Kind of like Barry Gordy. Yeah. I, I really think he was just trying to be another Barry yeah. Gordy. He was following all the same, but more and more a creative Barry Gordy, probably in his mind. He was like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. be more creative than him. I'm going to use drum machines. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm not going to say, distortion on my guitar. Like, it's going to be. <laughs> and I, like, because it sounds like, you know, like, this almost sounds like what Barry Gordy did with the Jackson 5. Yeah. Uh, and then, and and what's he, what he also learned from Barry Gordy is the like how it looks, yeah, kind of the um, the aesthetic, what the what the public is going to see, like, bef- like he named Gwen uh, Gwen Dickey, named her Rose, mm-hmm. but that's because the band is called Rose Royce, and the the they the people see her and mm-hmm. think, oh, that's it's Rose. Rose, that's yeah. Rose right there. You know, um, so we're gonna name her Rose and then create this, you know, persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Barry did the same thing with Diana Ross. Her yep. name is Diane Ross. Mm-hmm. He made it Diana. Yep. Like Michael Jackson was eleven years old. No, you're actually nine. <laughs> <laughs> so. And you need to get up there with Diana Ross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. What about the band? Get up there with Diana. <laughs> like he understood that, and, and it just seems like a lot of those things he was just kind of pulling from Barry Gordy. The Barry Gordy played to be successful. He was he went to Motown at nineteen. Yeah, it's what he knows. It, yes, he studied it his entire that's <laughs> his entire professional career. That's what he's known. 
So um, his, I mean, of course, his legacy is going to be tied to Motown and to Barry Gordy. Um, but as far as him being uh, a songwriter, I mean, he he's got a style. It's a distinctive style. You're going to know when it's a when it's a Norman Whitfield production or a ripoff. At least you'll know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, and and you know he is. Even though the Temptations have like "My Girl" was written by Smokey, mm-hmm. and there's one other guy I forget. Um, I think it was one of the other guys from The Miracles um, co-wrote My Girl. Uh, But as far as a majority of the temptation stuff... Ronald White. Ronald White. He's in... Yeah, he's in Mm -hmm. The Miracles. Uh, A lot of the temptation stuff is going to be associated with Norman Whitfield. Um, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Yep. Yeah. Ball of Confusion. Yep. Um... Famously covered by uh, the nuns from Sister Act 2. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, uh, I know I'm losing you because I know that from the, the Copacabana scene in the Temptations mm. movie. And Beauty's Only Skin Deep, which is a different Copacabana scene <laughs> in the movie. Uh, Just My Imagination. Like, um, uh, what was another one that he did? Uh the girl's all right with me. I think that was like in there. That was a t- that was a scene in the movie too. I think, but uh, the the production uh, is definitive. Basically, that's the point I was just trying to make. Yeah, that was all. Um, so, uh, anything else you'd like to add about about Norman Whitfield? Anything else like stick out to you that or that was interesting? Nothing I can think of. Um... Just the the darker, grittier style, like looking at like it was, it was almost like their graduation from the pop stylings of Smokey Robinson and Motown yeah. to come into their own. It, I mean, it was kind of like you could look at the Temptations kind of the same way that you looked at the Beatles. Yeah, as far as clean cut, mm-hmm. poppy, happy, and then as they got older and you know became adults. Doing acid. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> Possible. <laughs> yeah, they grew up. And and their and the sound had to change and it changed with the times. Mm-hmm. And so, not just the sound though, the subject matter as well. Subject matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the seventies were um a time like there's war going on, there's poverty, and you know, um as far as how it affects where these people live or where they're from. Mm-hmm. They got to talk about it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they they had the right they had the right guy. Yeah. He's um, from Harlem, moved to Detroit. Like those are two very black cities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to this day. <laughs> I mean, I know other guys had their had their great sound. You know, there's Tom Bell or um, uh, Gambling Huff. Mm. Um, but with, but with them, it was. There was it was it was very smooth and it was very well done, mm-hmm. but there, like you said, there is that dark kind of grittiness. Yeah, like uh, it especially like his the stuff city. with the Temptations. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like the city. Yeah, and that's just and that and I guess that's not something I really thought about. Like that sounds, it, it sounds like it's <laughs> it sounds like New York. It sounds like Detroit. It sounds 
like the city. Yeah. Um, well, I have nothing else to add here. Yeah. Um, so that will bring us to the end of our discussion about Norman Whitfield. Uh, we'll have a playlist on Spotify that you can check out. Um, they're mostly the hits. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of songs on there. Um, we'll get to my earworm of the week. Uh, I found about this band. Well, not band. They're it's a it's a rap group. Uh, from they're from the UK. Uh, called 808 Inc. Um, and I really like this song because of the the sample, which is uh, "Soup for One" by Chic. Uh, <laughs> and uh well and then also which was in turn sampled by mojo with a song called uh lady tonight okay um so i like i like how they flip the sample and uh, but i still have i really have no idea what they're talking about because of the accent <laughs> um but it's on my we lit playlist because i lit. like how it sounds so this is 808 inc and the song is called blessed up and we'll be right back just just some rich niggas talking big figures. Uh, big skull dealers with the big wheelers. Big baller, baller, want the blessings on my blessings on my blessings. This ain't regular stuff, mm. To be honest, I might break that clutch. Blood, I move too much. Baby, gas my trunk. Huh, huh, I'ma bust it up. Money go around like the wheels on a bus. Big, clean, I don't see no dust. Huh, clear all the way up. Huh, man, I'm too blessed up. Blessed up. All right, that is Blessed Up by 808 Inc. And uh, you can find that song on our... BTT, YHT, Earworms, right now on Spotify. Right now. <laughs> Not tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that'll do it for our program here. Um, ben, can you tell the people where we can be found? Yes, I can. So, uh, first off, if you're listening to us right now, you have found us. Um, and tell a friend where yes. you found us. Yes. That, that's cool. Usually I say if you're watching us, and I we're not being watched, but if you were watching us, or if you're watching us last week and listening to this podcast right now, which is really be really weird if you were doing that. In any if case. If you synced it up in some way, I would be impressed. Yeah. Um, we're on Facebook at facebook.com. 
Facebook.com. Yes. Dot com. <laughs> slash by the time you hear this. Website is also www.bythetimeyouhearthis.com. Um, I'm pretty sure, though, if you don't type in the www, you'll still get there. Yeah. That's just the way these things work nowadays. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. 30 years ago, you would have been screwed. But nowadays, you're, you're good. Um, if you want to find us on the IG, a.k.a. the gram, uh, you can find us at By The Time You Hear This. And if you want to email us, you can also email us at By The Time You Hear This at gmail.com. Now, the website, as well as our Facebook page, is spelled with the word U, Y-O-U. Our email address, as well as our Instagram page, is spelled with the letter U because we're urban. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess he's not under anymore. We we know what happened, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the investigation is over. Yeah, but they still doing stuff. Yeah. They still doing stuff. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. He's <laughs> under a rock. I don't know. Um, we'll figure <laughs> something else out there to throw there. Um, now, if you want to listen to us on the go, which is really how most podcasts are listened to, let's just be honest. Um, it's very rare that someone just sits in their home and turns on a podcast. Yeah. I am I am a weird dude that I will do that as I'm listening to dinner or playing 2K. I tried to do it while I was playing Spider-Man, but it's not as easy because there's dialogue and mm-hmm. things we miss. But if you're playing 2K, like at this point, what is it's May. The game's been out since November. I've heard all the commentary. Like I yeah, just don't want to hear I, it I anymore. I hope that there's more or more varied answers with the my player. Yeah. I will say that there was a nice touch. They added Bill Simmons, and they added Kevin Garnett. So yeah. that was cool. Kobe is on there. That's cool. But even after a while, you've heard all of that. <laughs> so it's just like, okay, eh, I'm done. I, so, I'm hoping for a better storyline because the, like, the one with, with Freak and Mr. President, that was cool. The one with DJ was stupid. That I don't. I didn't even play that one. That was dumb. The one with AI that was cool because yeah. it's like You're it's a journey. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. I will say the one with with um, Freak was good until you got to the end. Yeah, and the dude gives the long spoiler alert. This game is like five years old though, so I don't care. He gives it this long. I was like, this is straight out of a Spike Lee movie, man. You could tell he directed this. He is like. He is like, I am directing the shit out of this right now. <laughs> so, and I don't mean to go too far off topic. I had a friend who used to work at Endeavor with me who watched, which I can't remember which Terminator movie that Big G directed. Okay. It but, might have been, well, was it the one with Christian Bale? I think so, but he's like, he was watching it, and you can tell that Mick G was just sitting there like, I am directing the shit out of this movie right now. <laughs> and that's what I felt like. Um, Were there bright colors? I think so, yes. <laughs> And Lots I feel like that's what, um, when he had that dude come out in that white jumpsuit as an angel and give that monologue, that was like, <laughs> that was, yeah. So if you're playing 2K and the storyline gets too bad, here's some ways you can listen to us. <laughs> First off, we're on iTunes. Uh, we're also on Google Music. That's the gold, not gold, the orange triangle. And uh, they just asked me to update that just a couple days ago. So check that out. See if you got to update that to get those podcasts. You can also find us on Overcast, CastBox, um, TuneIn Radio, Play.fm. You can find us on um, Satchel Podcast Player, Over. I think I said, no, Auto Radio, excuse me. Um, you can check out Listen Notes, which um, you can search for podcasts by topic. And um, any other podcast aggregate website, I know if there's something that is hosted only on iTunes, I can typically find it on CastBox. And I'm pretty sure there's other um you know, apps out there like that. 
um, for those that only host with one particular person. So, you know, if you're looking for that podcast and you can't find it, you could use that. All right. Well, um, that'll do it for our program. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes, we appreciate it. And uh, we're going to end the show with um, one of the other definitive Norman Whitfield songs. Uh, I heard it through the grapevine. Oh, yeah. Um, the Marvin Gaye version. And uh, we'll talk to you guys very, very soon. Peace. Peace.